0: Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Well, I want to come to our time where I share from God's Word this morning. And as I do so, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 41. I'm going to be reading from the uh, New Revised Standard Version. So I encourage you uh, to either click there or find a Bible around you and follow along with me. Uh, I'm going to be reading Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 41 through 47. And it says this. Now, so those who welcomed his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 persons were added to their company. Now, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many signs and wonders were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having goodwill for all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, during this season, when we kind of draw special attention to the celebrating the resurrection of Christ, the seven weeks of Easter, we've been in a series that we're calling The Uprising And this series is really meant to help us explore some of the implications of Jesus' resurrection for our own life and faith. And what we've discovered is that this uprising, like many uprisings, confronts oppressive power, but in a totally new and different way. Uh, The uprising that is centered on Jesus and his message is an uprising of hope instead of hate. It's one of peace instead of violence. And what we've discovered over the first three weeks of this series is that we've discovered that it is an uprising for everyone, that all people are welcome to join in the uprising centered on Jesus. And last week, we were reminded that if this uprising is to be recognized as something different, then participants in this uprising must be faithful to the radical ways of Jesus. That is to say that we must resist the temptation to morph this uprising into the tired old ways of violence and exceptionalism. And so this week, we continue in our discovery of the uprising by entering into the world of the disciples. Who were in Jerusalem uh, a few weeks and months after Jesus's resurrection. And by that, I don't mean just in a passive sense we want to enter this world. But rather this morning, I want to enter into this world in a very active sense. And so for the rest of the morning, I will be sharing and talking to you as though I was a first century Jewish disciple of Jesus uh, in the days following the days and months following the resurrection. So let's do our best to enter into this world and see what their life and their gatherings might have been like. It's been almost a year since our lives were changed forever by resurrection. Now, at first, I wasn't so sure. I could hardly believe my eyes. I wondered if I was living in a dream. And for a few weeks following the resurrection, we kept getting reports of people that had seen Jesus and were interacting with him. But then all of a sudden reports came that he ascended into heaven and he is reportedly now sitting at the right hand of God. There is some debate among us about what this really means. Some believe that God is staging a cosmic and dramatic intervention. Others think that Jesus' ascension simply means that Jesus has left and the whole mission of God's kingdom is now over. And those who were previously disciples have now returned to their lines of work and given up. But there is a group of us, myself included, we are convinced that we are to carry on the work that Jesus began. That we are to live in light of Jesus' teaching and his announcement of the coming of the kingdom of God. I was there that day when the Spirit of God came upon us. So now I'm convinced, not only of Jesus' resurrection, but also that he now lives in us and through us by his spirit. But I have to be honest, there are days, plenty of days, when I find it hard to stay motivated, to live in light of the new possibilities in Christ. These new ways of living It is so tempting for me, and I know for some of my friends, to return to the same old order of things. To help us stay encouraged and help us stay connected to the good news of Jesus, many of us have begun gathering in small communities that we call ecclesia. Now you, living in a a city of Roman rule, you've probably heard that term before. It's the word that Rome uses to describe the exclusive gatherings of Roman citizens to discuss the affairs of empire. In those meetings, the people are motivated to carry out the purposes of Rome and to strategize how best to do so. But it's also in those meetings where the citizens of Rome honor the emperor and the whole pantheon of gods that support him. It seemed fitting to us, this small group of Jesus followers, to repurpose this term ecclesia for our own use in the same way that Jesus repurposed the cross from an instrument of death controlled by the empire to a symbol of life, love, and forgiveness. And so in our Ecclesia. We gather, not as citizens of Rome, but as citizens of heaven, the kingdom of God, in order to encourage one another to lift each other up and discuss the affairs of the kingdom of God. It is an unlikely group, I will give you that. It's composed of rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female. But we carry the conviction that that if this uprising is truly for anyone and everyone, then our ecclesia needs to reflect that. Now it is often difficult. It is often difficult since we have so since our life experiences are so different. But I also must say it is often filled with beauty and with grace. And so when we gather, we worship the living God who has been revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. The God revealed in Christ stands in sharp contrast to the pantheon of Roman gods. And one of the, one of the differences you notice right away, for me, was that those gods, that pantheon, that collection of Roman gods each in charge of their different area of life seemed to have this default position of contempt toward humanity and must be swayed in order to act on our behalf through offerings and through worship but the god who is revealed to us in jesus christ came to us and showed suffering love and forgiveness toward humanity And so for me, the the primary difference is that the the Roman gods, the collection of these gods or those that they call gods, must be pleased, must be swayed in order to act in favor for all of humanity when the God who is revealed in Jesus Christ took the initiative for us. In some sense, this whole uprising that is centered on Jesus' name is a response to the initiative of God. And these gatherings, these ecclesia, they've taken on kind of four main functions in our lives. The first function, the first key element of our gatherings is that of teaching. That when Jesus was with us, he shared so many amazing things, many of which myself or my fellow believers just weren't ready to hear. But now... With his life and his teaching being vindicated through resurrection and with the passing of time and my own maturity, I'm more ready now to hear and receive his message than I ever have before. Now, sure, I received his message before, but there was so much more that I'm ready to learn and so much that at the time I wasn't ready to fully hear and accept so that I could draw out the full implications of the gospel of Jesus. And so when we gather together, we dedicate time in those gatherings to hear from the apostles. Now, the apostles are what we call those who were the original followers of Jesus. And these apostles teach us from their eyewitness accounts of Jesus. And so we listen intently and we hear them share from the law and the prophets and how the law and the prophets were preparing us and leading us to Jesus. That Jesus didn't just appear out of nowhere, but that he has a context and that his story, the Jesus story, is, is rooted in my own story as a Jewish person. But even my Gentile brothers and sisters are starting to realize that their own story is rooted in this story of Jesus for the good news of Jesus is not just for Israel, but for the whole world. And so in some way, all of us, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, all of us are connecting our own stories to the story of Jesus, because it's really the story of humanity. Now, a quick side note here. It was actually through the teaching of the apostles that I came to see Gentile believers as my brothers and sisters in Christ. And at first, I wasn't ready to do that. It was a hard thing for me to accept, but it was through their wisdom, their knowledge, their teaching that I came to welcome my Gentile brothers and sisters. And so for me, the teaching part of our gathering is my favorite. I especially love when we receive a letter from one of the apostles uh, that can be read in our gatherings. And these letters are teeming with life often speaking directly into our own situation, directly into my own heart, even though they were written for another community. By hearing these letters, by being reminded of the teaching, the parables, and the ministry of Jesus, we are more able to walk the road that he walked and to continue his work. Now, another key element of worship gatherings is sharing in bread and wine. It's a mystery to me, but somehow when we gather together and we share these common elements, it is as though the Lord himself is present with us. It's as though he is acting in our midst, reminding us of his own life, death and resurrection, unifying this group of diverse people and pointing us forward to a day when his kingdom will come in all of its fullness. And in any gathering in Rome, it is clear the lines that are drawn among us. There is a place for the rich and a lesser place for the poor, a privileged place for the master and a humble place for the servant. But around the Lord's table, we are one. Those divisions, uh, thankfully, and praise be to God, those divisions have no bearing on our gatherings. In this way, our gathering around the table mirrors Jesus's own gathering around tables. You see, Jesus was constantly reframing and upending table practices of our day. Normally, table fellowship is a social indicator. You would only dine and share a table with those who were in the same social class as you. But, but Jesus regularly upended and challenged that whole system. And so now, as the ecclesia of Christ We gather around one table, and I have to tell you, it is quite beautiful. But we also recognize that it is only through the Spirit of Christ that lives in us that we're able to participate in these table practices and to recognize his presence with us. Uh, Because otherwise, being unified in this way would be far too hard, far too difficult. The ability to gather around one table in unity uh, is in fact evidence of the Spirit of God in us and among us. And in fact, the, the Spirit of God was so real amongst us as we shared the table together that we began to recognize His presence with us in very tangible ways. We thought it would be appropriate to begin repeating the words that Jesus shared with His disciples during His last meal before His death. And, and so we'll, we'll do something like this. We'll we'll hold up the bread And we'll say, this is the body of Christ that has been given for you. And then we'll hold up a cup of wine and we'll say, this is the blood of Christ that has been poured out for the forgiveness of sin. And so with the death and the resurrection of Jesus in our recent memory, these words for us and for the forgiveness of sin land heavy on our own hearts and minds. For in the same way that medicine is given for illness, we know that Jesus' death and resurrection is curing in us old ways of life, old mindsets and old habits that belong to the way of death. And so as this, at this table with my brothers and sisters in Christ, we remember that Christ responded to harm with forgiveness. And then we are cured of our desire for revenge. We remember how Jesus welcomed outcasts, And then we are freed from the heavy weight of us and them mindset. We remember how Jesus showed love to sinners, and we are cured from hatred. We remember how Jesus told us to forgive those who have wronged us, to pray for our enemies, to lay down our swords, and we are saved from the temptation to try to control people through violence. Gathering around the table with my fellow believers changes me. But our gatherings aren't just teaching and a meal. Another part of our gatherings is sharing in fellowship. Uh, We get into each other's lives. (laughs) During our time together, we're often around the table sharing a meal. But during that time, we share what we're learning and how the good news of Jesus continues to shape our lives. We share our experience of failure and of victory. We share our questions and our doubts. We share about that of which we are confident, and we share our joy. It's a gathering that is marked by the human experience of highs and lows, that on any given gathering, and we gather as much as we can. Some may be experiencing joy, while others may be experiencing a real difficulty. But the goal is not to fix one another. The goal is to be present with one another in the same way that Jesus was so present with those who shared his company. So the goal is not to gather together in order to judge and then fix or repair one another. The goal is simply to gather together and, and emulate the presence of God to one another as he is present with us so that then through the working of his spirit, through the teaching of the apostles, we all might be brought into greater degrees of his likeness. And so often we share with such honesty with one another that we learn of needs. None of us are rich, but together we can make sure that all needs are met. These are the people with whom I share my life, and I'm so thankful for the times that they have helped me, and I've been able to help them. We're in this together, and we're going to get through this together. Now, the final final part of our ecclesia gatherings is prayer. And during our times of prayer, we include our own prayer, but we also pray the prayers from our ancient prayer book, the Psalms. They help us give language for how to engage with God in the midst of all of life's circumstances and all of life's experiences. And when we aren't praying the Psalms um, or, or the prayer Jesus taught us to pray, then we are making requests. We're giving thanks and we're confessing our sin to God. You know, we can truly and freely confess our sins to God because Jesus showed us that God is gracious and forgiving We can openly confess our sin before God and one another. And that means that our gatherings, in our gatherings, we don't have to try and live in secret or we don't have to make excuses for how we've messed up. And honestly, it keeps us all from pretending. And so we confess our sin, but we also give thanks to God for all that he has done. And our thanksgiving can come in the form of singing, dancing, words of praise. Offering praise to God helps us face uncertainties in our world. It roots our minds and our attitudes in the victory of Jesus over sin and death and reminds us that we don't have to fear even when the threats are very real. And finally, we make requests. We ask God for help, strength, comfort, guidance, because we can't provide those things all on our own. And when it comes to to making requests, I find it helpful to anchor those requests in the line that Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So with this as an anchoring statement, I often pray for injustice to end. I pray for our leaders to look to the good of others, not just themselves or their reputations. I pray for those who threaten me with for those whom I could call enemies because that's what Jesus taught us to do. I pray for good to come to those who have harmed me. And what I've found is that when I pray in the radical ways that Jesus taught, I am formed through prayer. Prayer changes me and helps me better walk in the ways of Jesus. And so we have teaching, the table, the fellowship, and the prayers. And it all kind of comes together to help form us as the disciples of Jesus. But here's what I hope. I hope I haven't painted too too perfect of a picture. We have a lot to learn. I have a lot to learn. And there are a lot of problems that we still have to work out. But despite that, I have found that the practices of teaching the Lord's table, fellowship, and prayer have anchored our gatherings and our lives since Jesus' resurrection. That in Jesus, we caught a vision of the character of God that is so beautiful, so compelling, so powerful, so vulnerable, that we can't help but respond in worship. And I think that's probably the best way to describe our little gatherings is worship. And honestly, it feels pretty significant. It feels like people may be doing this 100 years from now, or even 10 times longer than that. Now, Of course, I don't know exactly what it will look like, but if the message of Jesus is to survive, then it feels like gatherings of worship will be central to the cause. Amen. Well, I want to say a word of prayer for us, and then I will lead us to the Lord's table. Heavenly Father, thank you for the ways in which we have been able to imagine the life of some of the very first followers of you. Some of the very first followers who confessed... Jesus is not just a good teacher, not just a helpful prophet, but the incarnation of God and the world's Messiah. And here we are, all these thousands of years later, confessing and professing the name of Jesus, gathered in a way that they could have never imagined. But I pray, God, that These same things that rooted their lives would root our lives. Teaching, gathering around your table, fellowshipping together, and prayer. God, stir our hearts this morning. Move us in these directions. In a, in a time and age where so many programs and things have been kind of stripped away from the church. Bring us back to what is central and strengthen your church, we pray, and strengthen your disciples. May we grow in you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.